You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. It's episode 85 of Grow Yourself Up. And today I want to talk a bit about um, answering a question that I get in various forms. I've got it from multiple followers on Instagram and from other people who have emailed me or people who ask me kind of generally in everyday life. And um, it's a question around, so the, the general form of the question is, why do I identify with your content but I feel like I don't have childhood trauma or I think that I had a kind of okayish childhood or my parents did the best they could or I was really looked after in my childhood. I had enough food. You know, I I, um, I can't remember anything big. In fact, maybe I don't have any memories of my childhood, but I feel like it was okay. So how come I identify with your content? So I'm going to try and answer that question as succinctly as I can. And I suppose I want to put a, a caveat on that, which is that um, a podcast is obviously not therapy. And I'm not your therapist talking in detail about your individual story because I don't know um, your individual story. But um, there's lots of themes that I can speak to. And I want to try and kind of um, give some context to this question and also um, encourage you to hold on to your experience as an adult um, of the things that you struggle with, almost regardless of what you can or can't remember from childhood, because actually many of us can't remember much from childhood because we were so dissociated, to be honest. So let me try and um, give you some cultural context first, and then I'm going to look at some of the specific parenting um, patterns and kind of practices that have had a, um, that may cause you to identify with my content. So I speak a lot about the ways in which that we can change our experience of the world and, and, and the things that we can do to help ourselves now based on, um, like shifting, um, our coping strategies or, um, realizing we don't need to self abandon or realizing that we actually need to meet our needs because, um, you know, that's the seat of our power. But th- there are two, um, aspects to this. So there's what's happened in our family. And the cultural context we we exist in, and I guess the reason I focus a lot on um, our individual agency is because 
that's the thing that we can change now. We exist currently. So this is 2024. I live in the Western world. I live in a, a culture which is dominated by patriarchy. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, white supremacist, it's very it's capitalism, it's late stage capitalism, and it's still very patriarchal, despite the fact that women have got a lot more rights than they've ever had. There's still um a kind of an underlying hum in the air of women being second class citizens. And that's shown in many ways still. It's shown in the gender pay gap. So there's still a um a big gender pay gap. And that's worse. Say for example, um for black women. So in the UK last year there's a day, they mark this day where they say after this day, um, women are working for free as compared to their male counterparts. But for, for black women, that day was earlier in the year because they are more disadvantaged from a salary point of view. And so um, it's shown in things like the Me Too movement where um, kind of um, uh, sexual assault is used as a control tool. Um, as, as a tool of, tool of domination and control. Um, and it's shown in, in different ways still in terms of the, the expectations, the cultural expectations that are put on parents. Mothers are, um, sort of expected to do a lot much, a lot more than fathers are done. So I'm talking here in a, in a um, heterosexual relationship, but, um, and, and dads often, you often see on social media things like dads are babysitting and it's not babysitting, they're parenting. So there's still a lot of ways in which, um, the, the kind of the idea that men are superior to women are upheld, unfortunately. And you may not uphold this in your family. I hope you don't, but, um, you know, there's still, these attitudes are still pervasive in certain circles and it is shifting, but this is still, um, you know, some of the climate in which we live. And so that has a huge impact for um, the way we experience ourselves and how we feel we need to be, um, this, this cultural piece. And um, I developed a concept called the Good Girl Grid, where I talk about how what happens in our family of origin hooks up with cultural messages and basically uh, comes together to form a grid which locks us down over our neck. So imagine you're kind of being strangled with what happens in your family and what happens in society. When we have not had our needs met in our family and we've learned that we need to be certain ways, so we need to be nice, we need to be good, we need to be perfect, we need to control situations, we need to um, to people please. Um, then when we get into society and for, for, for a long time in history, women have had to please and appease as a survival strategy. We've had to keep men on side, as it were, so that we have enough food, so that, um, you know, they keep us, they, they, we, we have somewhere to live. Um, it's only kind of been in the last 150 years that women have really had property rights and been able to have a, um, a own a property without um, having um, to have a man sign for it or had their own bank account without having to have a man as a co-signatory. And shame has been used as a massive control tool around this. So the messages, the the societal messages have been very much like stay in, like stay in line because if you don't stay in line, you may... You may be unsafe. You may have no way to live. You may have no money. You may have no man to look after you. And that still um, can be a message that we get. But with this good girl grid, when we have not had our needs met in our um, families, we're much more susceptible to the messages from society. 
If we have our needs met in our family, we learn to question things. We learn that we can be in touch with our anger. We learn that our anger is okay. We learn to use our anger and our rage to channel um, our energy to effect change. If none of this is done in our family of origin, we split off from our anger, we split off from our rage. We learn that we need to be pleasing and to be good so that we can get our needs met in the ways um, that we would, you know, that other women have modeled for us. And that is, you know, these patterns around what women are allowed. We need someone to show us. We need to see examples that it's safe to do this. And this is happening a lot more now. We're in 2024. It is happening a lot more now, but there's still, um, there's still a lot of tropes and stereotypes that we need to dismantle, just, you know, um, like unflattering portrayals of angry women or an angry old woman. You know, there's still very negative connotations to women being allowed to have their anger, to standing up for themselves, to um, having very powerful work positions. There's often a lot of criticism of, of, of women who have a very powerful position or they they called a ball breaker, you know, they really put down in some way. And so the cultural piece around what women are allowed has really, that's, that, that runs down a lot in our generations about that, um, we need to be a certain way. We need to keep up with the Joneses. We need to focus on pleasing others. We need to make sure that the neighbors think good of us. All of that type of messaging really um, serves to keep us small. It serves to keep us focusing always on the other. Is the other pleased with me? And initially, that starts off with pleasing our parents um, because people-pleasing always starts off as parent-pleasing. So I've been talking a lot about the cultural piece, but when we talk about um, culture, culture is the stories we tell ourselves. And really, um, a lot of this stuff I would actually consider to be generational trauma because patterns say um, of people pleasing, that's a pattern and a behavior um, and a practice that's been passed down in a family about um, how we need to be. And we know with um, generational trauma that there's two, um, so uh, from an emotional trauma point of view, there's two modes of, of um, transport down the generations. The first is via gene expression. So if our parents or ancestors have experienced trauma, um, some genes can get turned on and off and, they, and genes can be expressed in different ways. And so essentially that means that um, uh, ancestors, well, um, sorry, descendants may be less resilient. And there's lots of different ways in which it impacts um, our bodily systems, but we can tend to feel stress more. So be less resilient to stress. So it's much more costly um, on our systems. When we, when our, um, gen, when our ancestors have got trauma. And then the second mode of, um, generational trauma being passed down is via these patterns and behaviors. So I, I'm going to talk more about this because we can have this long debate about is it culture or is it generational trauma? And I think it's a bit of both. And I think that, um, culture does become, um, we, because of the way that the family slots into the patriarchy, we um, perpetuate practices in our family that help us belong. And, um, but broadly in response to that question about how come I identify with your, with your content, I think generational trauma has got a huge, huge part to play for many of us. And now we're going to focus a bit more about what happens in the individual family. And I want to say a little bit about um, parenting practice that lead to disconnection and can lead to complex trauma. So, 
the first thing I want to talk about is about connection to our emotions. Now, I've talked a bit about childhood emotional neglect before. Childhood emotional neglect is this idea that we haven't been given any access to our emotional lives. We haven't learned that our emotions are literally um, charges of electricity in our bodies and that we can use this information from our body to guide us. Our emotions are like part of our life force. They they help us know which direction we want to go on. They, they give us signs about um, how we feel about things. You know, when we have anger, it's a sign that our boundaries being crossed. When we have a sense of sadness, it's that something needs to be grieved. But many of us, but we need help with, with um, decoding and understanding and processing and learning to be familiar with our emotions. We need um, permission and coaching from our parents as we go through our childhood to understand what, what is going on, to understand um, what frustration is, to understand why we get frustrated, to understand what we can do with frustration. Uh, children have a lot of rage and anger, and that needs to be decoded for the child and to be to be kind of, we need to be with that to help them understand that, yes, they can have rage about something and they can have anger, but they can't kind of throw a book at their sister's head or, um, you know, do any other kind of violent behavior or bite. We have to help them learn to channel those feelings and um, take action accordingly. But with childhood emotional neglect, there is a suppression of anything that is seen as undesirable. And indeed, even positive emotions are not really tended to because the, the the this pattern is a is a is a generational pattern, and it's a pattern which pro, promotes self disconnection, and you know we can't if if our parents had no access to their emotional lives or didn't know that their emotions were allowed, and that having um, a huge range of emotions like all the emotions doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're bad it means you're human, but that hasn't been known and it hasn't been allowed and it hasn't been tolerated, so we've been raised by people who are disconnected and themselves disembodied. And so that that gives us this experience, an experience from very early on of you are bad or you are wrong. There's so much shame then associated with ourselves as human beings because these very human things, emotions, which which come, um, you know, come all the time. We have waves of feeling coming all the time and we really have to learn to be with our emotional experience, to tolerate it, to process it, to know that we don't have to take an action around every feeling. You know, sometimes we, we have a feeling and we, we need to maybe have a little cry or we need to sort of speak to ourselves and say, okay, sweetie, like I understand you feel like the way and we still need to do this. But when we don't have that coaching from early on, we land up being very immature around our own emotions. And when they do burst out, you know, we might have uncontrolled rage. We may just constantly exist in a state of depression because we're actually suppressing all our sadness and we're suppressing all our rage. And really what we need is to come into a mature relationship with our emotions. But that starts in, in childhood. It starts with how our parents are with us. So, there's a, you know, within our, with, within many of our experiences, you might have had a house where you were, um, it looked very kind of nice and respectable from the outside and it looked good in terms of, um, you know, a house, uh, a clean house, enough food on the table, a warm house, everyone employed, no like, uh, like big displays of mental illness or no addiction. And yet 
there's kind of a, a complete lack of any connection and no access to any emotions and everything is just completely suppressed. So that leaves you as, as a child very alone, not having any um, support or emotional warmth or holding. And that's been an extremely common experience for, for many people. Um, and that sense of shame is is often what drives um all of these other um adaptations. I mean it is what shame is the is the kind of the core underlying thing of perfectionism. So then we learn we need to be a certain way, we need to only be um good, we need to be nice, we need to be pleasing. From what I see clinically and what I kind of my kind of research and, and um developing thoughts on this um is that emotional shutdown and the disembodied um, result of so so we we land up being very disembodied, and because we have to to disconnect from our bodies if we can't um, pay attention to our emotional life, so the emotional disconnection and the disembodiment lead to a lot of trauma essentially because everything um, feels too much, too fast, too soon because. Initially, as children, our emotional um, experiences are a lot, and we need parents to be there with their nervous system and their frontal cortex to help us, to help us with our emotional processing, to teach us how self-regulation, um, you know, you know, they to well, basically to be first of all the self-regulating other, and then we move into more co-regulation, and then we can move into self-regulation, but. When we haven't had access to that and we've been raised by people themselves who are dysregulated, there's no option but for us to be dysregulated and to constantly suppress, repress and deny things, to de deny kind of our whole emotional life. And that is quite a... Um, it's quite a functional strategy, actually. It it can work for quite a long time until parenthood often. And then that all collapses. When we are not given any access to our emotional lives and helped to learn how to process it, how to be with our emotions, how to contain ourselves, our feelings burst out of us in, in uncontrolled ways. And we have no modeling around how to have conflict and how to actually remain present for the conflict. So our interpersonal skills are basically non-existent. Um, and that causes multiple problems in relationships because when things get too hard, we leave and we keep on repeating the same patterns because we have to, you, we really have to build up capacity in order to have conflict and to remain present for the conflict and to know that that's normal. It's normal to have rupture in all relationships. And so, um, and when we have this core of shame and we develop perfectionism, we also have a very active inner critic because when we've been shamed from a young age for our emotions, normal, you know, you know, everyone has emotions. It's to be expected that children have meltdowns and um, behave in ways that that we may not understand as adults. And the experience for so many people has been they are shamed for that completely normal human behavior. They're shamed for their humanity. And so we, in order to, because our inner critic develops to, to protect us from blame and shame and pain in our family initially. And so we need to have an active inner critic then because how, we know how else do we keep ourselves safe? And having critical parents means we'll have an even more, um, 
sort of uh, vicious inner critic. So that you can, as you can sort of hear, the disconnection and the emotional shutdown that happens when we're not given um, access to our emotions and helped with them really leads to a, like a whole lot of additional issues, which then have to be undone because we have to um, really learn that our inner critic is not speaking the truth. We're not bad when we're having an emotional set of emotions. As adults, we can't kind of throw a pot at someone's head or... Um, you know, have, have, have a complete meltdown necessarily, even though some of us do, um, we have to learn to channel ways to, to learn to kind of, um, uh, contain ourselves and try and listen to what the emotions are actually saying, but not like paint them all over the wall, basically, because, um, that's really not going to get us anywhere in our adult relationships and being disembodied, i.e. not connected to our bodies is a huge, huge issue. It, it's a massive contributor to burnout because we can't really even uh, feel when we're actually tired. We've been so used to just pushing past things. We, When we don't have access to our emotional lives and we continue to do things like overwork or people please, we have no idea of when things are too much for us, when we're too stressed, you know, when we've completely exhausted our um our system, because many of us, so our HPA axis, our hypothalamus pituitary adrenal, um, Stephen Terrell describes that as like the light of our body. It's it's kind of what keeps us going. And many of us have had such chronic stress our whole lives that that has completely overworked. And, you know, we have an autoimmune condition or we have um, adrenal fatigue or we have some other manifestation um, like fibromyalgia or an, an, a manifestation of chronic stress because we're so disembodied and we, we've pushed past our human limits. And so, yes, in, in kind of response to that question, can I still have an experience of trauma? How can I identify with your content? I think these key things around not getting access to our emotions and not being taught about um connecting to our bodies and noticing what's going on in our bodies are two of the main reasons that there is so much um, dysfunction in our world. We we don't have an embodied sense of what our limits are. We don't have an embodied sense of my emotions are okay. We haven't learned to contain ourselves. We ha- we often don't learn to take full responsibility for ourselves because if we're having um, huge feelings burst out all over the place, we do a lot of projection. We think it's always the other who's got an issue instead of being able to claim what is ours for ourselves. And so growing ourselves up is really taking back our own stuff um, it's it's healing the shame. It's realizing that we are not bad. We're not flawed. It's coming back into connection with ourselves. It's learning to befriend our bodily um, our bodily sensations. It's learning to tend to ourselves really gently. It's learning to um, often take things off our plate, do less, and honor. Um, of the limits of our physical body and, and kind of discern what those physical limits are and add in things that are unloving for ourselves. So, um, I hope this, I hope this all makes sense. And I hope that you can really try and, um, deepen into your own experience of your childhood and notice, like, how were your emotions tended to? Were you allowed to have your emotions? Were, was it okay to have some emotions? Was it not okay to have other emotions? Or were you just blanketly taught to disconnect from yourself and just focus on like doing what the neighbors did? 
and how embodied were your parents? Maybe, you know, if, 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 if parents are drinking or if parents are overworking or if parents are very, um, emotionally immature themselves, there's kind of no way that they can teach us, um, how to be embodied. And, you know, then we will get all these coping strategies like perfectionism, people pleasing and, and multiple other strategies. And it's, it's fueled by, um, dissociation and disconnection from our body. So if you notice that you dissociate a lot or you have um, been very shut down in your life, that's that's n- nothing to have shame about because that is a way you've had to survive. And it's a very um, it's a very effective and functional strategy. And we don't just move from being dissociated to being um, not dissociated. That's a, that's a process of coming more into contact with ourselves. Um, and also sometimes we really need to do that. So please honor your experience. Please notice um, notice how you present an adult life because all of the ways you present are telling you something about your history and there's no need to berate yourself or to kind of, um, I mean, how can I put it, to to think you're rubbish because of the way you turn up. I'm still learning um, ways in which I've ignored myself because there wasn't there wasn't space for me as a child in my family of origin because of what went on in my in my home. So I'm still really reclaiming bits of my experience in terms of not ignoring myself and giving myself like actually taking myself into account adequately. So um, I hope this kind of makes sense and I'm sending you lots of love. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.